Hey, it's Ben. Ben Avery here with a quick apology for uh, about 20 of our listeners, if I have read our download reports correctly. I was uh, creating a new feed for the Marvel sci-fi comic stuff, which doesn't affect this feed. Those episodes that come out on this feed will come out normally, but this was going to be uh, an extra feed that would you know, bring the episodes out one at a time as I go through each of the individual comics, and that accidentally got uploaded to the regular feed, meaning some of you might have gotten about, I don't know, 44 episodes in your feed on your podcatcher, uh, and some of you might have downloaded a number of those, and I really do apologize for that and causing that, that problem. I feel a little bit stupid for, you know, doing things wrong, uh, but like I said, it was fixed. I'm sorry for cluttering your feed, and it will not happen again. Lesson has been learned. And like I said, this only applies to about 20 of you, but um, I'm going to go ahead and put it out here where everybody hears it, uh, just so I can make sure I catch those people because there's no way of knowing who downloaded them. So thanks for listening, and on to the actual episode. Comic Book Time Machine, episode 67, month six of our event books. Hey, time travelers, it's Ben, Ben Avery, one of three time travelers in a comic book time machine that goes back in time and picks up comic books and brings it back to read. And we can, you know, take a look at the past through the eyes of the present or something. Uh, I've been joined by my friend and yours from the Sci-Fi Christian and this podcast, Matt Anderson. Hello, everybody. And Daniel Butcher is here as well. Hi. Daniel. Uh, well, he was here a minute Daniel ago. Daniel Butcher is not here right now. Uh, but I think we're going to go ahead and start recording anyway. Is that yeah, let's plan? go. I mean, he said he'd be right back. And so I figured this is there's no time like the present, Ben. I think we should just strike while the iron is hot. It's true. There is no time like the present when you're traveling in a time machine. Exactly. Ben, I know that we talked off air that you're going to let me go first, but I just want to say I'm pretty excited for when you go because since we did events episode five and events episode six here today, I have mm-hmm. read Secret Wars 2. Really? Yes, and really liked it. Really? So you read the main book? Yeah, just the main book, not all just, the, okay. uh, the tie-ins. But it's kind of interesting because at the end of every issue in the main story... It gave, even in the trade, the full listing of which books you should go read, which you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, then I went back and listened to our old events episode, and then I had better context for what you were talking about. (laughs) It's pretty interesting. It's not an ongoing story at all if you just read what I did, The Secret Wars 2 trade. Because you need to read your tie-ins. It's really choppy if you're just going to read the trade. And I was surprised that they actually put out a trade. I mean, they did a big, huge, giant omnibus that has everything in it oh. except for Micronauts and ROM. But uh, I was surprised they did a, a trade that was just Secret Wars 2. Yeah, and I, you know, you hear so much about it. I was sort of expecting to not like it, but I definitely liked it. 
It was a good one for me. Well, I don't want to give too much away, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Uh, this month, this issue six, and then the tie-in issues even, uh, really run counter to the popular opinion, I think. And, and there's a couple reasons why I think people might not like Secret Wars 2 just in general because of the way it interrupted stories mm-hmm. that were going on, maybe. Um, and it wasn't the most smooth thing. But I was pleasantly surprised by this month. Uh, there was something I liked in every single comic book that I read. And there were five tie-in issues with this one. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about it. I mean, I felt like no, as a sequel, no, it was a, a genuine sequel to the original Secret Wars that brought in the same main cast. And of course, all the superheroes. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm for it. Yeah. It was way deeper than I was expecting. Like Some of the philosophical stuff that it gets into was good. And that's something I'm enjoying. And this issue, this uh, month six, there was, it was really quick uh, philosophy because there was so much packed into uh, this issue. In fact, this issue could have been like the whole event if they, had, oh, really? I mean, because it's the one where they go really cosmic and they bring in eternity and death and mm-hmm. Mephisto and... Uh, the watcher comes and I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty big. So Man, we've been talking so much about it. Do you want to just go first? I hope my, it, we could, we could uh, switch it up here. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, I should be rigid about things here, but I'm going to be flexible. I mean, we've been talking so much about it. It seems like I, a this good, is oh, totally oh. weird. Hey, you made it. <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> Daniel. Like you guys are talking about comic books without me. Daniel, Daniel, welcome back. Could you explain yourselves? Well, basically, we were just introducing the the episode and, okay. and telling people that you weren't here. So you re, you returning right now? It's not awkward for our listeners. I, I was supposed to check out the time machine tonight. Yeah. Well. Wow. You should well, have set the uh, coordinates for you know five minutes earlier, but it's okay. Wow. But, Daniel, we did it's some okay. uh, mid-show switcheroo. Oh. Ben, ben is going to start. I'll go second. You go third. Yeah. And I haven't really introduced okay. our topic, but we kind of have. But we're talking about these event books that we're reading. So we're all, we all chose an event that we wanted to read the entire event or close to it. And so, Matt, you chose Crisis on Infinite Earths, the 12-issue yep. maxi-series, right? That's right. Uh, from, from DC. Yep. And Daniel is reading uh, the Evolutionary War. Neither is it evolutionary or a war, it seems. <laughs> but you're reading it. Uh, an annual event that Marvel did during summer of what year was that? 88. Summer of 88. And I am reading through Secret Wars 2 and all of the issues that were tied into Secret Wars. Because someone's too. an overachiever. Uh, or a compulsive comic book buyer when when he starts a series and he has to set parameters so he doesn't go too crazy like buy deadpool comics that completely undermine the entirety of the secret wars i'm just saying when you get to the end of that storyline it totally could have happened i'm just saying that not in my mind not but it in my could. head it's totally set up that it could have happened that's great but i'm never ever going to find out um, and what Secret Wars 2 was, was the first event that really did a complete company-wide crossover and interrupted all 
of the comics that Marvel was putting out that were set in the Marvel universe and even one or two that aren't even set in the Marvel universe, but they're still set in the Marvel multiverse. But yeah, so Secret Wars two issue six was an interesting one, though, and we were just talking about how there's something in every single one of the comics that I read that I really, really liked and was really drawn to. And for this issue, basically what happens is the Beyonder is looking for purpose in his being and he's acting as a superhero and he's going around and helping everyone everywhere and he has a human who gets interested in in what he's doing and who sets up a company that the beyonder doesn't need but he has a corporation that is behind his superheroics and then through just some conversations and and observations and this stupid guy that is this human you know who set up the company who he just says the wrong thing at the right time and so he <laughs> The Beyonder has chosen to side on the the uh, to be on the side of the forces of light, the forces of life, and he's not going to stop fighting until death is vanquished. And he's just hyperbole. He's just going off in front of reporters. But the Beyonder is like, wait a minute, that's it. If I'm going to be a hero, I'm going to be the ultimate hero. I'm going to destroy death. I'm going to completely eradicate death. And he actually invites death to dinner. And Death comes to dinner and he puts all of his power into a drink that Beyonder does and hands it to Death. And Death is going to drink it. But, you know, then the bad, all the forces of the universe show up. Um, the Watcher shows up. The Inbetweener shows up. Mephisto shows up. Um, Eternity himself shows up as, you know, to try and convince the Beyonder not to destroy Death. And then in the last, like, Let's see. It happens in two pages here. Death drinks it and disappears and is gone. And all of these forces that that are you know symbolic of the universe are like, what do we do now? Nothing can die. And it's just it's just nothing. It, everything lives. Uh, the microbes live, you know, and flowers live and. They're like, there's no purpose at anything. And so Molecule Man, who's been trying to not get involved, he doesn't want to get involved, but he has to get involved because this happens. and He can feel it happening. And he goes and says, you know, you've done this. Why bother with anything now? No one can die. No one has anything to strive for. Why bother to eat? What is there to eat? You can't eat food because that, it can't die. And the Beyonder says, but I used up too much of my power. And so that jerk that he's been running around with, who started the business, he says, I've always wanted to do something with my life. I've always wanted to be somebody. And the Beyonder turns him into death. And so that's basically what happens in that issue. And it's it's interesting because there's all this stupid stuff with him being a superhero and setting up a huge giant base and everything like that. And then you get into the meaty stuff and it's like three pages at the end. But the other tie-in books, though, they all had something to do with heroism. They all had something to do with, um, oh, where's my notes here? So we're taking our time machine back to cover date of uh, January of 1986. But all these issues came out end of September, beginning of October of 1985. And we had Cloak and Dagger, who there's all this, this idea of, you know, they, they didn't choose the life that they have. 
but they're they're going to use their powers. They're going to go after the the drug dealers and everything like that. And so the Beyonder he comes to help, and and he's looking for happiness, and he, he they're going to give him happiness and drugs. Those drug dealers are. And Cloak and Dagger think he's a bad guy, so they attack him. He takes away their powers, and they're just so happy that he's taken away their powers. But then he finds out what they were doing, and he just goes and kills all the drug dealers. Just kills them. And that's where Cloak and Dagger start talking about, you know what? We need to be using our powers to help people choose to reform. Not to just fight the evil, but to help change the evil people. And so there's just something really, there's just something really meaty there. And there's this defining moment on page 21 that I'm going to turn to where um, Dagger is, is trying to make, has, has this revolution. Re, 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 what am I trying to say? Has this revelation? revelation, revelation, revolution. What am I thinking? Going to have a revolution. Yeah. 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 So he says, you know, cloak represents darkness, a man uh, who can, who commits a punishment if he commits a crime, but dagger represents the light of his salvation. And there's just, he defines them for themselves. And it was really interesting. And, you know, crossover events are meant to try and get you to dabble into these other books too. I want to read cloak and dagger. I want to, to maybe try and find that series and, and, and read through it. I just don't know if I will ever have the time. So then Power Pack had a similar thing going on where they're trying to decide what are they going to do with their powers. And he, issues ago, brought to life Curse to come and fight Thor again because Curse had one desire, and that was to fight Thor, and Beyonder wanted to understand desire. And this is where that all pays off. Power, Power Pack, their kids who are superheroes, who are hiding it from their parents that they are superheroes, their mom gets hurt really, really bad by Curse who's brought to life by the Beyonder and power pack goes after curse and they bring down a building on him, but they're not paying close attention to what they're doing. It's a building's being built because that's the way Marvel does it. When you're going to have a big fight and bring down a building, it needs to be a either a, an abandoned warehouse or lots of steel girders in a building that's not quite finished. And they bring it down, but they don't realize that there are actually some people still at the top because they were so blinded by their, their thirst for, revenge and their single-mindedness and so they start you know rethinking themselves and rethinking what they're going to do as heroes um and then that is continued in thor issue uh, 363 which is another one where they're talking about the use of power and thor actually says to the beyonder at one point uh they give up all their power uh, thor and beta ray bill give up the power of their hammers to destroy and stop curse and Beyonder says, well, that's interesting. You make that sacrifice. And Thor says, well, what use is power if it cannot be used to save the innocents? And this is where Beyonder, if it had been part of the main series, it would have been nice to have actually, that's the one thing that's missing here is these all should have been written by one person in a single series because this would have fit in nicely with issue six where he realizes all the power in the universe can't make you good. You have to choose it. Um. And by the way, at the end of that Thor issue, he turns into a frog. And the next issue is the famous frog Thor issue. Oh, that's cool. It's not Beyonder who does it. It's it's Loki. Um, and then we go to the Microverse. Micronauts issue number 16. And you come in the middle of this. It's like 
It's like if you came in in the middle of Empire Strikes Back and just all of a sudden a character shows up and you have no idea what's going on in this whole battle and, and you know, all the bad stuff has just happened and Luke and Leia and Lando and Chewbacca and 3PO and R2, they're all dealing with the aftermath of this horrible thing that happened. All of a sudden show, someone shows up and says, hey, what's going on? Tell me about your problems. <laughs> and... It's just you're lost. And and I was lost here. I have read all of the Micronauts comics. I've read this issue in the context of the Micronauts story, but it was so long ago. I had no idea what was going on. All I knew is that planets had just been destroyed. The Beyonder destroys more of them uh, in order to help push them to uh, do more good. And so that was, uh, again, there's some things going on in there. Comic book pop philosophy stuff, but. And then in uh, did you our, just say comic book pop philosophy? Yeah, it's a new thing. I'm Let's put a, a pin in it. that because that's the first time I've ever heard you say that phrase. Is it? I'm pretty sure. Well, it's not the first time I've talked about it, but it's maybe the first time I've put it into words like that. Power Man and Iron Fist number 121 has them uh, has Luke Cage going uh, out to dinner with the Beyonder. Um, has them uh shield is investigating the beyonders great big giant uh superhero headquarters shield is going to blow it up nick fury is not a big fan of beyonder and there's a big conflict and it involves a kid who's basically a captain marvel shazam type of guy but he's dying uh he's got a disease that's incurable and um it really this is probably the weakest link of all of them iron fist is trying to stop them from blowing up the base and Beyonder, you know, he rescues the people as the base crumbles, uh, but he makes it blow up himself. And then he realizes, ah, you're just going to keep blowing up, keep coming after me. I'm just going to leave it. I'm not, I'm not going to bring it back. And it's kind of lame. But all in all, though, this month, I enjoyed every single one of these comics and Power Pack and uh, Power Pack and Cloak and Dagger maybe just want to track down the entire run of the series and read them. I, and I, I always won't, thought you but... already had. Of what? Power Pack and Cloak and Dagger? Yeah, Cloak and Dagger specifically. I always thought you'd already read a lot of Cloak and Dagger. I've read some Cloak and Dagger, and I've really enjoyed it. And there was oh, a summer, I think, where I bought every month their, their I just series feel and... as if you might have been overly hubris-filled with the amount of Cloak and Dagger that you've claimed to have read in the past. I'm pretty sure I never claimed to have read a lot. I like the characters, and I That's want for to the see listeners to decide, Ben. That's for the listeners okay. to decide. Well... I do have, I have a, a significant set of Cloak and Dagger. I want to go back and get everything and read it all from the beginning. That's what I'm saying. All right. Well, you can say that. So. It's said. It's said. Power Man and Iron Fist, I want to read too. This is a, a issue 121. But I know that that's continuing the numbering from, uh, Luke Cage or Power Man Hero for Hire or whatever that that series originally was called. And I'm excited for you. I also recently bought an epic collection of Power Man and Iron Fist. Well, I have time before you, Iron Fist becomes a series. That's not until so, next year. So I just need to figure out what issues are in that. What your epic collection? Yeah, and I'm assuming that it's probably not those. So yeah, I'm probably. assuming it's much, much earlier in the 70s that my collection has. 
So Matt, you were saying you uh, enjoyed reading Secret Wars too. Do you remember this issue where they were dealing oh, yeah. with all of the the heavy hitters in the the personification of these cosmic concepts? Yeah, I loved it because this is a really good time for me to have read this because I've been uh, picking up a lot of the classic storylines. So I had read just this year for the first time Secret Wars one, and then Secret Wars two, and I also read Infinity, uh, the Infinity Gauntlet, and the Infinity. Crusade. I think that's the second one. No, War is the second one. I'm on. I'm in the middle of Crusade right now. So yeah, it's been fun seeing all these cosmic entities all together. I thought it was interesting how important death is to Thanos uh, or to Thanos' storyline. How the character that was death ceased to exist, and now there's a different person who just basically became the same character, but there's a different entity that that started out that way now. So that's <laughs> yeah. His name's Dave. Yeah, his name is Dave. Uh, death. But, after 1986 was actually this guy named Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they, people will just try to ignore that, but that is legitimate Marvel lore now. Yeah. And so that's crazy. But I looked up my review real quick just to, uh, uh, on Goodreads here to get my thoughts on, on Secret Wars too, because I remember I had uh, written about some of the philosophical stuff that's happening there. And uh, I think this issue does tackle a lot of these things. So uh, I wrote here... Um, the Beyonder is questioning what it means to be human. What is desire? What is love? What if there was no death? What would that mean for humanity? So, I mean, you had it. This is a pretty good month for you. It is. This, this whole what if there was no death, though, it's seriously like this is something in the, in the, in the comic itself. It's probably, you know, 15 minutes maybe of no death in the world. Uh, it's three pages which is ridiculous to me. Like that should be there. There's monumental consequences there that could really be explored and they skip over it. And I don't know why they spend some time with captain America and Mr. Fantastic coming in and leaving, but they come in to say, Hey, we're not sure about you, but you're too powerful for us to do anything about it. <laughs> like That could have been, tiny. you're always looking for that in your heroes. <laughs> hey, you're too powerful. That could have been time spent, you know, with Mr. Fantastic and Captain America saying, okay, wait, this isn't good. Uh, you know, that could have been some of the, your genius characters and Dr. Strange and some of those guys being, oh, but I mean, they, they give that a couple panels to the cosmic concepts, but uh, where they're, they're re reveling in the, the, the problem, but yeah. So that's, that's my event for this month of, uh, what was that again? October 1985, the cover date there. Um, and it was enjoyable. And I'm ready to read November of 1985. So I don't know who we're going to go to next because I was going to be second. Let's so. go. Let me take it, Daniel. Oh, thank heavens. <laughs> Wait, Daniel. Aren't you excited? I want to make sure that this comic book gets the proper attention that it deserves this evening and it deserves attention this is one that i yours that you're doing this month is one that i knew without even having to look why this was important it's a comic book cover that we remember forever oh my goodness yes indeed okay go ahead matt all right everybody well here we are at crisis on infinite earths number six the cover day on this was september 1985 so close to ben's event but uh, the on sale date was actually june 6 1985 and so far guys you know i've been talking about how i didn't know if i could wait to read these before we recorded 
So I was thinking I'd read past this, but I had so many other things to read. I decided ah, I can just set this aside and I already know how it's going to end and I know most of the major story beats. So I have not read beyond issue six yet. So I'm so uh, proud of you for main, remaining pure. But that's crazy to think about how we've been doing this podcast for over a year now and I've read <laughs> six issues of this 12 issue story in, in about a year and a half or however long we've been doing this. So not good. But uh, the title of this is Three Worlds, Three Deaths. And I mean, maybe I'll change my mind as I walk through this review, but I don't think that's 100% true of what happens in here. There's more than three worlds that, that, uh, that appear in this issue, and I don't remember any deaths. So uh, I have, I've run out of review, so let me see what my bullet points say. So the issue opens up with the Anti-Monitor still talking to Psycho Pirate and Flash. Both of them are pretty much trapped at the anti-monitor's lair. And then we find out that there... Well, this is where it gets kind of confusing. It seems like there's three Earths left in the multiverse at first. He talks about Earth 1, which we know, Earth 2, which we know, and then Earth X, which is an Earth where World War II has lasted for over 40 years. But then later in the book, even though they have that conversation about those three Earths, later in the book, we get Earth 4, which is the Charlton Comics universe. And then Earth S shows up, which is Shazam's Fawcett comic world. So I don't really know why it's called Three Worlds or why there's dialogue to indicate (laughs) that there's three Earths left, but I'm just going to move on from there. I probably just missed something, so don't worry, fans. So uh, right after that, the scene quickly cuts to this netherverse. And if you guys remember, this netherverse is made of the monitor's essence. (laughs) So when he sacrificed himself, he was able to kind of create a little pocket part of the universe. And that's where his monitor's satellite is currently at, and it looks like it's about to be destroyed. So a bunch of heroes, including Harbinger and Alexander Luther, who's from that uh, now-gone Earth-3, both of them are trying to help, but ultimately the satellite is destroyed. So don't, don't, bad news. Uh, elsewhere, an alternate version of Brainiac caps Lex Luthor because he needs his help for something. So we know it's an alternate version of Brainiac because Luthor doesn't recognize him, even though at this point in DC history, Lex Luthor and Brainiac should have known each other because they had probably worked together by this point. And uh, yeah, so definitely an alternate version of Brainiac here. Um, so then the the story starts jumping from Earth 1 to Earth 4 to Earth S. And we see all the heroes fighting each other. And the reason this is happening is because the Anti-Monitor has allowed Psycho Pirate to use his, his powers. And if you remember... Uh, Psycho Pirate has control over emotions. He can make people feel things. So at this point, I mean, he's pretty powerful because he's instilling deep fear over a bunch of the different Earths all at once. So I don't know if Anti-Monitor is magnifying his power or if Psycho Pirate is always this powerful, but it's pretty, I mean, it's, it's a pretty powerful act that he's doing here, being able to control tons of Earths at once. So uh, the people that should be friends are fighting because no one really knows who they can trust and they all see this antimatter cloud attacking the Earths and they don't know who is actually behind all these Earths being destroyed. So uh, Harbinger is somehow using her powers to draw Earth 4, Earth S, and Earth X into the Netherverse. And just as a reminder, already in that Netherverse are Earths 1 and 2 so I think where the story is going, and again, I don't exactly know, but I think 
when crisis is all said and done and we have just one Earth, it looks like that one Earth is going to be made up of Earth 1 and 2, which we're pretty familiar with, uh, uh, Earth 4, which is the Fawcett comic, no, sorry, Charlton comics. So that's, uh, you know, what have we got there? I'm, I'm blanking on their names. All those guys. Uh, no, no, question. no. Yeah, question. that's... Yeah, question, question Captain, Ad- Captain Adam. Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle, okay, yeah. yeah. They'll be there. Then Earth S, that'll be a part of the new Earth. That's the Shazam universe. That's the Fawcett. And, yeah. Yeah, that's Fawcett. And then Earth X, which is, that's the one where World War II lasted a while. So who's there? The Freedom Fighters, probably, and Uncle Sam. So, yeah. Yes. So, so this Doll is all just. Man, like, et cetera, et cetera. This uh, is just my uh, guess. Oh, what were we going to say? We we actually had an entire multiversity episode where we talked about it at Earth X. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, the, like I said, just a guess, but I think these are the Earths that are going to make up the Earth that remains after Crisis. So, uh, moving on to the story, Harbinger then uh, uses so much of her power that she actually extinguishes her own superpoweredness, so she can no longer become this person Harbinger anymore. Now she's just Lila. Right. That, that seems like a not the greatest power if it can wear out after a while, but that's how it works out. So after she's just Lila, she confesses to Alexander Luther that she's the one that killed Monitor, but that she, you know, was being possessed, so it wasn't really her fault. He doesn't seem yeah, angry at all. Yeah, yeah, likely excuse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but because she killed Monitor, for some reason she was able to use his power to save those Earths. So I don't know if she's trying to hint at. It was all part of Monitor's plan. Trust me. But yeah, that's how that goes. So at the end of the issue, uh, there's a character named Yolanda Montez. And she decides to become the new Wildcat because the guy who's currently Wildcat is her mentor and he can't play the role anymore. There's, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on in DC history at this time, but he's either too old or he's sick or something's wrong with him. He's uh, kind of, I think he's laying in the bed for most of this issue. So uh, yeah, but I thought this was interesting because I've actually seen a new 52 version of this character, but I'd never actually saw her in DC history before. So here she is, the new Wildcat. Uh, and then also, I, I wanted to note real quick here, throughout this issue, a ton of the well-known DC villains were in maybe a quick scene, but then just disappearing into thin air. And they don't actually explain it throughout this issue what's happening, but it seemed like when Brainiac kidnapped Lex Luthor, he kind of disappeared in that same fashion. So my guess is that Brainiac is somehow not kidnapping, but teleporting away all of the villains. And maybe he's amassing some sort of army. I'm not positive what the plan is for that, but it seems like this alternate version of Brainiac has some master plan and he's collecting the DC villains. So that's happening. And then finally, at the very last page, Lila tells Alex Luthor that Monitor said that Alex has a destiny to fulfill. So there should be a lot more coming from that character. Although, I mean, he's been around and he seems important, but I don't know that he's done a ton yet. So Alex Luthor, watch for him to be important in Crisis on Infinite Earths. <laughs> that kid's going to go places. <laughs> exactly. But again, I mean, now go back to the title of this issue, Three Worlds, Three Deaths. Uh, I don't see it. Maybe unless you're focusing on the three new worlds, but see, still not three deaths. Well, but how many worlds were destroyed? I mean, in this issue, none. Oh. The, they were worlds? saved. They were? So they're, yeah. they're saved. They're not. 
Yeah, but Harbinger getting... collected them into the Netherverse. Do that math. But could that mean death? Going Maybe. to the Netherverse? I guess it's better than the antimatter cloud, so sure. I don't know. I got so nothing. that's it, guys. Halfway point for Crisis on Infinite Earths. I'm here. I'm about to start issue seven now. I'll probably read it relatively soon. I usually, I mean, I, I'm always excited to read them. So yeah, I, I'm happy. Halfway through. And I, we should be able to get the final installment out sometime uh, at our current rate in 2017. Or 18. I think you're a little too ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I was reading this in 1986, I would be getting so frustrated because this one, you know, Superman's not even in it. Where's Batman? Where's my yeah. guys? Well, we talked about this on a previous episode, but I think uh, a way that they can allow people to use this story as a jumping on point is by not having a lot of characters with history baggage, but rather they created a new cast like Harbinger and Alex Luthor just for this book. Yeah, I wouldn't have been convinced of that in 1986, though. Right. When I was wanting my guys, you know? Right. I'm on Mike's Amazing World of Comics right now looking, and it has all the different characters that appear. And I, I'm just looking through here. Flash appears, you know, real early on, but no Superman, like you said. Uh, no Batman. I mean, they, there's a few of the other ones, like Wonder Woman's in there, Supergirl. So there are big names, but not. Not the two top guys. No, uh, it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have been enough for me. I would. You would have been out. I would have been out. Like, all right. But I'm with out Secret here. Wars two, like the big guys are all over the place. That's true. All right. And well, in their crossovers. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of big guys, Daniel. Oh, you got yeah. some heavy hitters coming up here. Ooh, such a distinctive cover. It's haunted my childhood. But it is the next installment of Evolutionary War. It's chapter number six, The Amazing Spider-Man, oh. annual 22. And you look at this beautiful, beautiful cover, which lets you know that in this issue, we get a new hero, and his name is Speedball. Yes. No, he's he he might be named after a drug, but he's clean, clean cut, and awkward. Yes, he is. So, like all Evolutionary War annuals, there are three chapters. In order to pick up this one, you have to go back to May thirty first, nineteen eighty eight, in your time machine, and get these sixty four pages for a dollar seventy five. I'm going to be honest. I picked this one off the rack, the old Mini Mart. $1.75 was quite a chunk of change. But I was committed to the Evolutionary War. I don't fully know why. <laughs> Maybe I was more committed than they were. I don't know. I so this, this one's one going to get a little weird. I bought this one too. I was yeah. at a Mini Mart in another state, but we were kindred spirits even then. So... And I think, because again, we know Matt's love of Spider-Man. Matt, did I give you this one or did I give you the spectacular Spider-Man one? Or did I not give you any of these? Uh, no, I'm, I'm sad to say you've never given me any of these issues. Well, you can't have this one because okay. it's mine from 
I didn't even use the time machine. Again, I picked it up in 88. You know, the summer of 88. It was the summer of the Evolutionary War. Did you think you had given me some of these? I thought I did. I thought I got an extra of one of these somewhere. But Man, I'd love to have free comics. I hope I, I know. I hope well, you follow I, I promise. I have an entire trade for you behind me, buddy. Oh, that's wink, true. wink. It's totally coming your way. But that's Good. neither here nor there. Now, the first story, 35 pages long, is Drug War Rages, plotted by Thomas DeFalco, scripted by David Michelini, and pencils by Mark Bagley. Now, just let me go ahead and start this one off by saying, out of all the Evolutionary War chapters that I've read so far, art-wise, and you know I rarely talk about art, but art-wise, this is the best chapter so far. Now, Matt, do you remember Mark Bagley and what he did? Yeah, he is famous for his long run on Ultimate Spider-Man with Brian Michael Bendis. Exactly. He is probably a definitive Spider-Man artist. And he does an excellent job in this issue uh, depicting Spider-Man and depicting everything around it. So, like, one of the things that I remember from the Evolutionary War is that the purifier armor was, like, totally awesome to me. It was totally sweet. The little one eye, you know, completely covering, articulated. Well, some of the past issues that we've talked about, that armor, it's a little questionable. Didn't look like I remembered it. Wasn't as cool and nifty as my memory had led me to believe. But here, with Bagley drawing it, it looks sharp. I mean, this, again, artistically, this is good stuff. And and I chuckled because as I got to the end of the story, I said to myself, I wonder who drew this. Because the, the credits are actually kind of hidden on the first page because it looks like it's a newspaper. And then when you, I'm like, who did this? Who did this? And then you kind of dig into it, and it's like, oh, there's those credits, and you're like, Mark Bagley, I know that name. Again, probably one of the definitive artists of the Ultimate Universe. And again, Matt, am I wrong in saying one of your favorite artistic depictions of, of Spider-Man? You know, I never thought about it that way before, but I'd say it's pretty good. Yeah, he's he's a top guy when it comes to Spider-Man. Yeah, he's clean, he's realistic, but yet it's still a comic book. So, totally. So there's that. So, Drug War Rages. Hey, do you guys remember when the Punisher was in Mexico or Colombia or wherever he was? And he, like, off to Drug Lord? I don't remember In the that. Evolutionary War? I think like, I missed it. Like, Chapter 1? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, chapter 2? That yeah. was, like, that was month, That was over a year ago that we talked about that. Yeah, well, well when that happened... Believe it or not, there's a supply and demand in the drug world, boys. And this has led to the fact that there's now a, a lack of drugs, a shortage in New York City. Can you believe it? I can, because you're telling me it's true. It's true. And it's I trust true. you, Daniel. Which means that now our our local gangs are actually fighting over... um. Uh, um our local gangs are actually fighting over control of the drug market because, again, they're, they're high prices, shortage, all that good stuff. So our hero arrests some guys who are selling drugs, and then they're all webbed up 
and someone comes along and murders them. And who's to blame? The last person who saw him alive and told the friendly beat cop that they were there. Uh You know who it is. A misunderstanding with law enforcement. A shocking in the Spider-Man universe, I know. So, of course, J. Jonah Jameson wants to make Spider-Man look evil. And uh, except for one thing, the public's kind of coming on Spider-Man's side because finally somebody's going to prove, take care of crime, clean up the city. Which means eventually J. Jonah Jameson's going to attempt to prove his innocence because you can't have him be a hero. And this is, you know, this is at a time, and they even make a reference to it, just kind of one of those historical references that puts it in its place. Um, there was a, an actual historical incident where there was a, a man who shot, um, I believe, uh, pickpockets on the New York subway. And there's an actual reference to that, you know, like that guy, like Getz, he, the, um, Spider-Man's a hero because he's cleaning up crime. Which is kind of a strange thing to sometimes see because, again, it's an actual reference that really places this historically where it's at. It really makes it a product of the 80s. Um, so basically what happens is Spider-Man tries to prove himself innocent. And so he gets together with – well, he bumps into Daredevil. And you know what Stan Lee says about any time two superheroes get together? They're going to have to fight. Which totally doesn't happen here. Oh. Literally, we have this really kind of nifty conversation where Spider-Man's like, do we really have to do this? (laughs) And Daredevil being Daredevil uses his super hearing and says, oh, no, you're telling the truth. We're good. Which we know he can do that because he did yeah. it in the Netflix series, too. But it was really kind of nice to see them kind of point out the cliche. And then at the same time, deal with it. So while this stuff's all going on, young Robbie Baldwin, Rob, Robert, whatever name you want to give him, is in New York City with his mother, an actress. But Robbie seems awkward. Like many, many middle schoolers. Seems uncomfortable in his own skin. We will come to find out later when he's mugged. It's because he is, in fact, the hero speedball. Who just bounces with kinetic energy when he gets hit too hard. So the reason he's all awkward is because he wants no one to hit him. And, of course, the, the muggers hit him and he starts bouncing around. And he's going all over the place. Now, this will be important later. Because we're also going to bring in Kingpin and the entire cast of Daredevil. No, really? Okay. Yeah, we don't. We do bring in Kingpin. <laughs> and Kingpin, um, he's, you know, he's concerned about this drug war situation too. Um, he is wondering what he can do to maybe use this situation to his advantage. And basically what he does is he has the fixer. You remember the fixer, Ben? I do remember the fixer. I do. And he's important because he's a guy who fixes things. No, he's important because he led to Daredevil's father's death. But anyway, he has the fixer feed Spider-Man and Daredevil information about the location of uh, where these guys are that killed the guys that were webbed up, except 
is not really that location because you see Kingpin's been noticing something. He's been he's been watching the world news, Ben. He notices these incidents like in South America with the drugs. He sees these strange armors. So does he in fact send Daredevil and Spider-Man after the actual murderers? I'm going to go with no. No, he sends them after the high evolutionary troops in New York City who are preparing to sterilize through an antenna at the top of the Empire State's building, State Building the entire city of New York to take care of unnecessary, un, deviant DNA. Mm-hmm. He's going to just sterilize them all. And I remember as a kid not understanding what was going on here. So then there's a bunch of fighty-fighty, but this strange, you know, speedball kid also starts showing up, and he's going to show up nearby. And then, when everything looks doom and gloom, and Spider-Man and Daredevil can't save the day, who is the one who winds up jumping so high he breaks the antenna? Well, it's not Kingpin. No, it's not. It's Speedball. Yeah. Speedball. Yeah, Yeah, that's my next guess. Yeah, so our new hero, Speedball, with his unclear and unsure origin, in fact, saves the entire day and then gets saved by Spider-Man. Yeah. Well, so, because... so, so far, you know, some evolutionary war, I think it, I counted it was like 16 pages before the high evolutionary or any of his men were mentioned. This is really a Spider-Man story. That just happens to fall within the evolutionary war. And also happens to introduce that hot new character. Who's, Speedball. Yeah. Which we'll come to in a minute. Um, with the story ends, you want me to go ahead and spoil it for you, for you, Matt? Because I know you're worried that Spider-Man's going to go to prison for committing a crime he didn't yeah. commit. What's going to happen? Well, for some undisclosed reason, Kingpin understands that Daredevil and Spider-Man are going to be mad at him for giving them the, the wrong location. So Kingpin actually makes the real murderer confess his crimes and go to prison. Yep. Well, Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> kind of a weird ending. Yeah. So I was really like, as I'm getting to the end of the story, I'm like, but the central problem is Spider-Man. How are we going to get him off? Because the villain wants him off. Well, there you go. I've read worse. There you go. Win one for Kingpin. Yeah. I, I've read worse stories than that. I probably you know, have even written worse stories than that. It's actually, again, it's a pretty decent Spider-Man story. And it introduces that hot new character, Speedball. Speedball, which leads us to our second story, He Who Laughs, which is plotted and penciled by Steve Ditko and scripted by Roger Stern with art by Jackson Geis, or as I like to call him, Butch Geis. Really love Butch Geis' Secret Avengers run. But here's the, here's the deal with this story. You see the word Steve Ditko, right? I do. So Not Steve Ditko them, did what? He Trivia was a time, boys. co-creator of our boy of Spider-Man. Of our Spider-Man. So he contributes to the Spider-Man annual. He just does not do so through the... Uh, through the actual uh, Spider-Man story. It's the, the backup story. It's Speedball. Well, because they brought him in to do the Speedball thing. And Speedball was supposed to be the next Spider-Man in he 1988. Really, he was going to be he, that young superhero that kids can relate to and pick up his, his series, which I did. 
because of this annual, I collected three of the first six Speedball comics. Ben, I'm pretty sure I have three of the first six Speedball comics. Yeah, I remember going to the grocery Probably store. Probably almost exactly three. I saw them and I'm like, oh. So I think I had like issue two and issue five and issue six or something like that. Maybe we should look into that for a future comic book time machine. Maybe. You know, I do find interesting Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. It's not like their relationship was friendly. They had a lot of animosity. Well, mostly did go towards Lee. So it is kind of ironic to as late as the 80s see a Stan Lee presents Speedball created by Tom DeFalco and Steve Ditko. And originally, again, I mentioned earlier his unsure origin. You know, his origin for is still not mentioned here. Um, Ditko didn't create him for this event. He created him as part of the a different uh, a different uh, initiative, which was the New Universe imprint, which I believe you know a thing or two about. Am I correct? A thing or two, Maybe. yeah, but not much more than that. But and basically, that shooter's attempt to create a new Marvel universe, correct? Yeah, but yeah. Th- th- I did not know that this was meant to be part of that. The speedball was. Yeah, he was meant to be part of that, huh. which I think makes sense in a lot of ways because I think they probably could have stole, sold Ditko on the fact that you were creating a new thing in a new universe and this was to be the Spider-Man of that universe. Hmm. Well, he ended up being the speedball of this universe. And I do find speed, you know, speedball, I do wonder, are we going to see a live action speedball seeing as how he actually has a pretty important role in Civil War? The comic story. Yeah, I don't think so for not anytime soon. But yeah, you so notice how I keep talking around the actual story. It's a stupid story. Well, basically, the story here is Speedball Robbie's walking around with his mom in New York City for ten pages, and some guy who has a Phantom of the Opera mask, who's got a grudge against his mother for <laughs> no good reason, attempts to kill her, and well, comedy she ensues. Used to be when, an actress in New York City, right? Yeah, he, the, true, but he blames her for something she didn't do, which yeah. was ruining his career. Yeah, and, and comedy reason. ensues every time he attempts to kill uh, Robbie because he becomes speedball, and then he bounces around, and you know it's it's very when you say the new Spider Man is a very Spider Man story. Um, he's got the speedball luck instead of the Parker luck. Um, I do have one major complaint. And I'm going to go back to to Ditko. You know, these pages. The art? The uh, the art's fine. I like Butch Bush Guy's art. So I'm looking here at one page, and it has, I'm not lying, 12 panels. 12 very small, concise You got to respect that, man. You got to respect that. You know, I might respect it more and say that it would be good use of a variety if it wasn't facing a page that had 12 small, concise panels. That was followed by a page that had 11, okay, nine panels. There's, I feel like, (laughs) I feel like Ditko had more story to tell than they gave him real estate. Yeah. And I almost wonder if they brought Stern in to maybe maybe massage it a little bit. Because every page in this story, again, there's one page with five panels. Otherwise, every one of these 
pages is so just oversaturated, so dense. Wow. And really, it did it have to be when it's kind of kind of a comedy story. So in my mind, I've just decided to put it on Ditko because I'm a big fan of Butch Gass's art. <laughs> and quite possibly, I mean, it was an outline maybe, and he just outlined a story that didn't fit. And then Butch came in and was like, I can make this work. Well, oh, actually, I should lie. I Steve can make Ditko it work. Did did the pencils. Guys did oh, the he did. Inks. Yeah, so Ditko oh, right. plotted and penciled. Well... So I did misspoke. And again, this is why I'm blaming Ditko. That's a good reason to blame him. I mean, if he did both of those things. but Yeah. And again, I'm convinced they tried. They brought in Stern. And you've been a scripter and just were like, come on, make this work. So. Okay. Well. And then finally. Oh, don't be running away on me. Oh, I'm not running away from I was trying to get you into the, the new, the high evolutionary. What's, what's yeah, we actually see the high evolutionary for six pages in Kindred Spirits. In which um, we see the high evolutionary making one of his new men, in this case, Bova, the, the female cow new man, which a new man is basically he takes animals and he evolves them into being um, into being people. And uh, he's enjoying, you know, hanging out with his with his new man and teaching them English and teaching them how to be functional and polite people. But then his former partner comes along. But you know what? Not his former partner, because he's been possessed by the ex-boyfriend of Morgan Le Fay. <laughs> See, I like, I, I, I just got to let it sink in. And then he tells him, your science citadel, it's awakening a demon. And the high evolutionary says, what? I'm a man of science. I don't believe in demons. And then the demon laughs. <laughs> Seriously, it just ends with the demon laughing. Well, you know, they're short chapters. So I'm guessing next time we'll see the demon. And then we also have some unused covers that are sprinkled throughout here, including one that was inspired by uh, some work by Larry Lieber, Stanley's brother. Pretty good. Sounds like some great stuff you had there, Daniel. Yeah. Uh, so next time, great. You oh, go ahead. Mean, you don't mean great. You know what? It, it's a really good. It's a really decent. It's a pretty good, amazing Spider-Man story. And that hooked me when I was a kid. That made me want. I bought into the hype, and I wanted to get into Speedball and get, be in on the ground floor with him. Well, the other I, stuff I, I, I didn't understand and or didn't like. I mean, the, the well, high evolutionary stuff. What? I, I didn't know what I was looking at. And we saw this as early as X Factor. You know, these evolutionary war. These evolutionary war annuals are kind of doing three things. A, telling a very loosely connected story. Again, I'd argue that Matt, a Spider-Man fan, would love this story. He'd enjoy it and say this feels like Spider-Man. Two, promote new projects. Um, was it the exterminators that we saw with X Factor number one, three get pushed out? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, or try to retcon something, you know, Quicksilver's not such a bad guy. And then three, tell the story of the high evolutionary and how he became the man he is. 
Yeah. And it, doing it in a better way than some of your modern events or your Secret Wars 2, where it's the annual. So it's not necessarily a vital piece of your month to month reading. I agree. So, yeah, I like it. Next time we sit down, gentlemen. Well, next time we sit down in the next six months to specifically talk about these things, X-Men Annual Volume 1. Cool. Which I really I wonder I, if I have it. <laughs> I think I have a new plan going forward. This is it. This is what I'll do. So since you guys always talk about multiple issues, and I'm always like, issue five. No, I don't talk about multiple issues. Yeah, but get, but, he just gets but, multiple stories. But I, no, his, I get over 60 pages per comic for $1.75. Beat that today. Reading, I kind of want to start reading more issues at once so that I can get through with this quicker. Not that I want to just get through with it, but I want to complete it sooner. So next time, watch for me to be reviewing 7 through 12. Okay. What? Yet, I, I need to apologize. I misspoke. Uh, X-Men Annual, volume, number 12, not number 1. Jeez. I'm falling apart, boys. Sorry. Not, I'm not really going to do 7 through 12, but maybe 7 and 8. That's not a bad idea. 7, seven 8, 9. Do 7 and 8. Cheaters. Yeah, 7 and 8. I'm going all the way through, guys. Straight to Alf. I've got that over there on my shelf. I do not own it yet. Oh, you need to get it. It's actually not... It, it ties in just about as well as anything else does. <laughs> See, my problem is I almost accidentally, accidentally ordered another copy of What If the High Evolutionary Won the Evolutionary War. Ah. And that would have been bad because then I'd have two of them. And I'd have to give one to Matt who likes free comics. Thank you. All right. Well, I do think it is time to shut down this episode. And I will say that the next series of episodes from comic book time machine are going to feature a special guest host from another podcast and we're going to be doing an experiment where we'll be taking a look at some a mini series and trying to have fun with that so that'll be episode 68 through 72 watch for it and they'll be coming in quick succession in this feed in this feed so until next time guys you got anything any final words where can we find you online Yes, uh, I have X-Men Annual 12. Sorry. I am at the sci-fi Christian.com. Daniel, where are you? I'm at betweendisney.com and welcome to level7.com with the seven spelled out where I spend some time with another guy. That guy be me and you can find me there too. So, yeah. With all that said then, Daniel, do you have any advice for our listeners? I've been spending a lot of time with middle schoolers lately. So be safe, kids. Make good choices. Hello? Okay. Do, 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 hey guys, got a roll. Gonna go spend some time with my wife before we go to bed. There All you right. go. Nice hanging out with you guys. Uh, let's do it again next month. <laughs> we will try. <laughs> you never know. Maybe sooner. I, I still haven't read the last two installments of Multiversity. 
Oh yeah, we gotta finish that. That's awesome. It is good stuff. I wouldn't know. Well, you need to find out. All right, later, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.